Hey, Bulls Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Rebuildable Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and joining us later in today's episode is probably one of the better Bulls podcasters out there, one of the better follows in Bulls Twitter. I'm talking about Mark Karanzoulis, at MK Hoops on Twitter. He's been on the show before, and it's actually been a while since I've had him on. I had him on, I think, towards the end of 2019. Look forward to talking with him about everything that's gone on this offseason, getting his thoughts on potential rotations, where this team is heading going forward, not just this season, but even well into the future. Uh, But before I do that, I wanted to just briefly reflect on uh, some of the recent moves that have gone down since our last episode. So I have not had an episode since Laurie Markkinen got traded. In fact, the day before Laurie got traded, I recorded an episode with uh, Laro from Bulls 101 over on Barroom Network. He hopped on, and we were talking about, you know, is it possible that Laurie Marketing could come back on the qualifying offer? Well, the next day, I dropped the episode, and a few hours later, Laurie Marketing uh, agrees to a deal with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and a sign-and-trade is orchestrated, a three-team deal, that nets the Bulls a future first-round pick that's lottery-protected from the Portland Trailblazers, as well as Derek Jones Jr., who's a very athletic wing player and somebody that could be a very nice piece in the Bulls rotation and off the bench. So I thought really good move by the Bulls front office to recoup some draft capital and also add a decent player off the bench. And then over Labor Day weekend, the Bulls signed two Johnsons. We got two Johnsons. Many are happy to have one solid Johnson, but we got two solid Johnsons. Oh, thank you. We have Stanley Johnson. And then shortly after him, they sign Alizé Johnson. Now, both players, I believe they're on a, a non-guaranteed contract. So they're really here to kind of... The front office is really just taking a flyer on them to see if they maybe have a little bit something to offer in the rotation. Now, what's interesting is the Bulls go from being in the Paul Millsap sweepstakes, where they were looking at a rim protector at the four spot, somebody who's a little more versatile offensively, and they instead add two guys that are athletic wings. So there's redundancy within the bench, but it's an interesting route to go with. Maybe see if you can untap something with both those guys. I mean, I've always been a Stanley Johnson fan. I tweeted this out. I thought he was always going to turn into a stud. I thought he could be almost like Jimmy Butler and emerge into an all-star talent, but it just never came into fruition. He's found himself more as a defensive role player. But I think it's worth it. It's worth a shot. And then Alizé Johnson, he's a he's an intriguing piece that, that could fill, I think, a lot of minutes at the four. And I think he is going to find his way on this roster when we open the season and, and I think play a, a pretty big role. The one thing I'm a little worried about is the lack of three-point shooting. You know, you have Alex Caruso off the bench, but outside of that, I don't know who's there in the second unit that you can rely on for three-point shooting. Uh, Kobe White, he can get hot in stretches, but not consistently. So we'll see. I think this is where Billy Donovan is going to make his money. He's going to make his money putting together a lot of overlapping rotations and lineups. So I don't think you're going to see him just play the full first unit, bring in a couple of guys, and then run with the second unit for six, seven straight minutes. I think you're going to see a lot of rolling in and out. You saw it last year 
a lot. You know, last year, even with the limited depth, quality depth on the roster last year, Billy Donovan would still wheel pieces in and out, mixing a lot of starters and second unit guys. I think you're going to see a lot of that this season too. Now, the good news is you have a lot more quality. I think it's going to be really intriguing this season to see the types of rotations Billy Donovan and this coaching staff come up with because I think they're going to have to do that. You just don't have the three-point shooting, rim protection from the second unit. But you know, we'll see how this goes. The front office clearly thought that the, the next best route once Millsap was gone and as some of the you know veteran depth in the front court went off the market, they clearly went with guys that could kind of play that positionless wing, float from the, the three to the four. So it'll be a lot of fun to see what happens with all of this. So I mentioned at the top of the podcast that Mark Karanzoulis is going to join us today and that I'm really excited to chat with him. And one of the reasons I am excited is, you know, he's been doing podcasts and writing for six, seven years. But when he really started hitting his podcasting stride, it was around the time, I think, and I might have to confirm this with him, it was around the time of the three alphas. And part of the reason he started getting into the podcasting realm was because he was growing a little frustrated with the direction of the Chicago Bulls under the Garpax regime. And it's been really cool to see Mark feeling good about the current situation the Bulls are in with the new front office with all of the roster turnover that's happened. You can tell he's really enjoying the team that's being put together. And this is why we do this in podcasting, in blogging. You know, it's an outlet for us fans to voice our pleasure, our frustration, our enjoyment, whatever it is, whatever emotion it is, put whatever emotion you want into it. That's why we do this. And it's really cool to see someone like Mark, who's been there since the three alphas, saw the Bulls get torn down to start this rebuild, and is now kind of reaping the benefits of waiting and being patient. And I want to pick his brain about what he thinks of all of these moves that have gone down this offseason, talk a little bit about the potential rotations that could come about, and where this team's headed in the future. So let's not wait. Let's bring Mark in now. Mark, welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. It's been a while. It has been, mate, but uh, happy to be back on. Thanks for having me. Of course. And um, it's been a big off-season, so I figured who, who better to have on than Mark K? Because uh, you've been in the podcasting world really since the three alphas, right? Yeah, I foolishly started all this when the three alphas thing was happening. And then obviously thereafter, the, uh, the four years of rebuilding. So uh, I, I, I planned it well. I timed it well. Well, and, and that's why I wanted to have you on because I really wanted you to get an opportunity to, you know, talk about all the massive changes that have happened really within the last month or so to the roster. So let's just get right to it. What move this off season really surprised you the most of all the ones that Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley made? Um, yeah, I guess surprised in the sense that I had no idea what was coming was probably the Caruso signing. Um, like we, we knew Alonzo was probably going to happen before the DeMar thing happened. There was a report, you know, a day, maybe two days prior. Uh, I think Windhorst had it first or whoever it may have, whoever had it first. There was, there was some rumblings that the Bulls were 
into DeRozan. So it wasn't a complete shock when that when that happened. I mean, we were all yammering on about it on Twitter as it was sort of, you know, those reports were playing out. And then ultimately it, it happened a couple of days later. So I would say that the pure surprise signing was Caruso because there was no smoke or noise about that at all. Like that just randomly came out of nowhere after the Lonzo thing. And you get the Woj tweet or the Shams tweet, whoever tweeted out and the Bulls are signing... <laughs> what's the name Alex Caruso like I was like oh okay I, I didn't even consider Caruso because I just assumed he was going to stay with the Lakers um I didn't assume the Bulls were necessarily well, I, I didn't think they had the the ability to get him as well and and that was before uh well, I was assuming they would operate under the cap um they clearly haven't done that throughout the entire offseason which is awesome but because I made that assumption that they would be operating under the cap, I just didn't think it was possible to get him, Lonzo, and someone else. So yeah, I would say I would say Caruso is probably the biggest surprise. How weird is it to have a front office that actually surprises the hell out of you sometimes with the moves they make in a good way? You look back at like Billy Donovan's hiring, you look at the Vooch trade at the deadline, you look at this offseason with some of the moves. It's it's definitely a nice change of pace. Yeah, look, I, I I don't mind if I'm surprised or not. I guess uh, there's good and bad surprise, surprises. So um, so long as what whatever the front office is doing is good, uh, you know, whether it's a surprise or not, I, I don't really mm-hmm. care. It's more it's more so, are you doing good things? Um, I mean, Garpax did uh, had a few surprises up their sleeve as well. Let's say that uh, weren't so good. So um, yeah, so long as you're doing good things, I don't necessarily care. You know, whether we know about it in advance, like clearly we knew the Lonzo stuff. There was smoke, you know, months and months and months. We expected that to happen, type thing. Um, like, we, like we talked about there with Caruso, that came out of nowhere. Uh, the Vucevic thing came out of nowhere. So, the, there are examples of good things that have occurred. One we knew about, one we didn't necessarily know too much about. But um, so long as you're executing and doing things that make sense, then then that's really all that matters. Well, I feel like there's a lot of interesting pieces on this roster because you have, I think, a starting lineup with a lot of versatility to it, or really a whole roster with versatility to it, right? Like, um, I saw you tweeted about this the other day. I think Elias Schuster had put out something about Bulls fans having this expectation level with Lonzo Ball getting seven assists plus a game. And really, there's a lot of interesting like dynamics within that starting lineup because really you have a guy in DeMar DeRozan who's going to really control a lot of the half court facilitating. I think Lonzo Ball is going to be playing a good chunk off ball in that case, but then he's probably going to be your primary ball handler and really pushing the ball up the floor in fast break situations. And then you also factor in, you have Vooch who's a very underrated passer from the high post. So I feel like there's just a lot of like interesting pieces and rotations that Billy Donovan can put together. And you even bring like the bench into the equation. I think there's some interesting moves that Billy Donovan can make. What what has you excited with the roster makeup right now? Yeah, I mean, following the rotations is going to be fascinating all year um, because there are there's a lot of talent on the roster. It's probably the most talented roster, I guess, since, uh, since 2011, 2012, uh, somewhere in that vicinity. But... I mean, there's ways that it can work with, with within the units, but then there's ways for it to work over a 48-minute game as well where you have to sort of split up some of these guys. So, you know, a good problem to have is, you know, having two players that are ball-dominant, let's say, or can do stuff on the perimeter to the to the level that they can, like Levine and DeRozan can. Like, that's going to be a good problem for Billy Donovan to have. It's obviously not something he had last season where it was pretty much just Zach Levine and maybe Kobe White would chip in 
you know, every other third game or something like that. But there was no real other perimeter options. Whereas now you've got obviously Levine, you've got DeRozan, uh, you know, Lonzo wants his touches. You mentioned Vucevic and the fact that, you know, he can pass out of the post, but he'll want his in op- offensive opportunities too. So the way they the way they run this whole thing is going to be fascinating in itself, but um, and how those these units mesh. But yeah, it's, like I said, it's a good problem to have, and like the Bulls are at, at a point now where they can play a forty minute, forty minute, forty eight minute game rather, where you've got one of Levine and DeRozan on the court at any you know the whole game basically. Like that's that's going to be a fantastic problem to have, and like what's going to be interesting is like which one of those two players. DeRozan or Levine, like who who goes into the second unit? Is it going to be De- uh, Demar? Is it going to be Levine? Um, ha- when when something a move like that happens, do you want to pair Lonzo with DeRozan or do you want to pair Lonzo with Levine? Who who do you want to pair with uh, Vucevic? Do you want Levine and, and Vucevic together or do you want the two old older guys in terms of uh, Vucevic and Demar to work the pick and roll game? Like, there's so many uh, machinations to this whole thing that you know, following the rotations, following Donovan's decisions is going to be super interesting this season. There's there's a path where it all works, but obviously, if, if Donovan doesn't get it right, doesn't get his rotations right, and those sorts of things, then then maybe it doesn't hit like we hope it does. But um, if all breaks the right way, then then it's going to be super fascinating as to how this can all come together. And even like sprinkling pieces in from the bench, you know, you, you brought up Kobe White, like if Kobe White catches a heater. What kind of a rotation does Billy Donovan run with in that kind of game? If you have Alex Caruso, you want to bring him in for more three and D help. What kind of a lineup does he trot out in that case? So I'm, I'm really intrigued by that. And I actually, I wanted to ask you something about the bench here because recently the Bulls added Derek Jones Jr. as part of the, the three team sign and trade with, with Laurie Markkinen. Then once Paul Millsap goes to Brooklyn, the Bulls decide to pivot from really a, a rim-protecting, offensively versatile four to athletic wings in Alizé Johnson and Stanley Johnson. So with those guys and you got Caruso, Tony Bradley, Kobe White, how are you feeling about this bench? Do you like what you see in terms of the bench or do you wish there was maybe some more three-point options or defensive help in the front court? The Bulls have clearly gone, you know, win now, let's say, and maybe win now doesn't ultimately end up with the championship, but they're trying to do everything they possibly can to win as many games as quickly as they can. So I would have liked to have had more experienced options um, coming off the bench, you know, from a forward and center position, particularly like if, if Vucevic, for whatever reason, were to go down, you know, you know with an injury for a, a week or two, maybe a month or whatever it might be, like the Bulls are still very limited up front. Uh, I, I like the Alizé Johnson signing. I like the Stanley Johnson signing. But, I mean, if we're being realistic about it there, I mean, Alizé Johnson is somewhat un- unproven. Stanley, jo- uh, Stanley Johnson has been... It has found a niche, let's say, but is still a, a a low a low rotation guy. Probably uh, hasn't fulfilled his potential potential where he was taken in the 2015 draft. So both are on non guaranteed deals as well, I believe, as well. So on, on minimum deals. So we shouldn't be expecting too much from these guys. Um, and and to that point, there's not a ton of shooting off the bench. There's not a lot of defense from the big position off the bench. And if for whatever reason, you know, Vucevic were to go go down like I said or even you know for whatever reason when when Vucevic is on the branch we obviously bring in Tony Bradley but maybe Tony Bradley isn't ready to contribute in the way that we hope a backup center could then the Bulls could potentially be exposed from a depth point of view um, up front which is kind of what we knew 
going into this thing and why we all wanted Paul Millsap so desperately. Now, maybe Paul Millsap at his age at this point, which I think he's 36, something like that. Maybe maybe he's not really going to you know impact many, many teams or impact in it anyway. So it remains to be seen. But I, I would say that shooting off the bench as well as, you know, defense and and depth behind Vucevic. There's still concerns I have. And because Alizé Johnson, Stanley Johnson, they're carrying non-guaranteed deals, I think you can you can take those guys into the season. You can assess how the first 25, 30 games are going with those guys at those positions. And then for whatever reason, if you need to swing a deal for a backup uh, power forward or backup center via the trade, uh, the trade market, then... You can do that pretty easily, either including those guys in trades or potentially just, you know, waiving them because there's not going to necessarily be a financial impact to to the Bulls in that sense. So uh, to open up a roster spot. So, yeah, ideally, I would have liked to have the uh, some more veterans off the bench, some more shooting off the bench, but you can't necessarily remodel your entire team in one off season. Uh, it takes time. It takes more than it typically takes more than one off season. So, uh, you know that that if I'm being picky, like that would be my one thing I would note. But um, obviously, realistically, that you can't solve every problem in a in a few weeks. You know, you just brought up something about you know not being able to really turn this all over in one off season or, or build something you know major in one off season. And this kind of transitions to something I definitely wanted to bring up with you because you've been putting out a lot of Twitter threads that I've been just nodding my head yes at a lot because I'm, I'm kind of getting frustrated with some national media perspective. And and there was a, a couple of tweets that you had, and I, I want to reference one first here, just in regards to the uh, DeMar DeRozan signing and really the moves that the Bulls made in the like first couple of days of free agency was, um, you know, a lot of people saying, well, this is just a, a team that's got a, a second round exit written all over them. That's That's their ceiling. Like that's what they're building for. And that they're they're locked into this group as their core, and I don't understand that actually at all because I really feel like they've actually added some interesting assets that you can always flip down the road if you wanted to. If you were in the running for a major free agent, let's say, or you were in the running for a major player on the trade market, I think there's flippable assets on this team now where you could get creative. Um, and we just saw in an off season where you can operate as an over the cap team to make moves you know, via sign and trade. It, it can be difficult, but it can be done. And, and I don't know why, but it, it just, it, it kind of frustrated me that the national media is, is, and some guys are still doing this, Nick Friedel being one of them. That, <laughs> I, okay, so just real quick for for those that uh, can't see this because it's an audio presentation, Mark and I are on camera. Mark had a little eye roll there when I brought up Nick Friedel. We can, we can expand on that maybe a little bit later. Um, but... Are you are you kind of surprised that people aren't kind of seeing the force from the trees with this group that they're just thinking this is a tapped out potential? Not really. Um, am I surprised? No. Does it annoy me at times? Yes. Does it, does it make me laugh at times? Yes. Um, look, with with these types of things, people just think about it, you know, from a short short term perspective. And to be fair, a lot of these national guys haven't necessarily been following the Bulls for the last four or five years. So they grade sure. these things on a transaction basis, but they don't consider, they don't, you know, add in the context that we have as fans. That's, you know, fine. This team as, as currently constructed may be at best a second round exit, but you know what? I'll, I will happily, I will happily accept that. You know, if that's the best this team can do, if they can get to like 48 wins, if they're losing the second rounds of the Bucks or the Nets or some team like that, 
and, and play a decent series, then I would absolutely take that given that over the last four years, the Bulls have been one of the worst teams, if not the worst teams, through that four-year period from a record perspective. So I, I don't think these national media types take that context into account. Um, the fact that Bulls, the Bulls basketball has just been unwatchable, to be fair. And, you know, maybe crazy people like us continue to watch because for whatever reason, reason we are, you know, we, we just can't escape the Bulls. But casual fans or just fans of the Bulls more generally, I would imagine they're tuning out in masses. And this actually gives a big market team a chance to actually be a big market team for a change. And to your point, where you sort of mentioned the fact that we're not necessarily locked into this roster. We can make moves. We've got pieces now to to make moves, and you know the the DeRozan contract, for example, is twenty six million dollars. Like that makes it very easy to to pair his deal with someone else coming in type thing. Now, obviously, a team would want need to accept DeRozan, but you've got a contract now, I suppose, that's tradable in that sense, mm-hmm. like a, a mid sized contract. Similarly with Vucevic, I mean, he's on twenty two million dollars, I think, coming up. So again, that's another deal that you potentially could move yeah and and consider the years of that you know like when you're looking at DeRozan's deal it's a three-year deal so after this season you have two years left on it and and same with Vucevic you have a a year left on that contract after this this coming season so it's not like you're locked in that long yeah 100 percent. and like and again talking about context and things that maybe these guys are sort of ignoring is you know Kind of shows is re- rebuilding or remodeling this team now for this off season or in this off season for the upcoming season. But he's doing he's he's remodeling the Bulls for beyond this season. He's trying to change the perception of this team. So the moves that this this organization is making now should have a ripple effect into future years to suggest to other free agents or other players who are you know potentially may put their names up in trade that hey the Bulls are actually trying to win games. They're actually trying to. To be competitive, there, here's a big market team that has been a somewhat of a sleeping giant over the last sort of four years, has sort of just taken themselves out of the running. But now with this front office, they're actively trying to to get back into the hunt. You know, they're trying to change the perception of this team. So yes, the moves that are made right now may only amass to a a second round team in, over the next one, two, three years. But it's it's more than that. These guys are thinking long term, and I, I think the national media types who you know, grade these types of deals based on the transaction at this point in time or at that point in time. Don't consider that. And again, like with the DeRozan deal, had the Bulls operated under the cap, there's no way you can get Lonzo Ball, Caruso and DeRozan. Like you you can't do that. So had they gone under the cap, maybe they could have got Lonzo. Maybe they could have got Caruso. At that point, all they're left with is their mid-level exception, which would have been the room mid-level exception, which is, let's just call it $5 million. There was no wing that you were going to get for $5 million that comes close to giving you what DeRozan does. So because they were able to operate Mm -hmm. above the cap, they got Lonzo, they got Caruso, but they got that wing that they so desperately needed for so damn long. Like Since Jimmy Butler's been gone, basically, there hasn't been a, a serviceable wing on this roster. And you know, they achieved what they wanted to do from point guard. They got their backup point guard as well. He's going to help from a defensive standpoint, but they got their wing as well. So again, like all that sort of stuff, you bring it all together. That's why I was happy about this offseason. That's why that's why most fans were happy about this offseason. But again, yeah, these guys just great deals on the deals themselves. They don't necessarily consider the the full picture and what it means. And, you know, they come away, come away with bad takes. But I, I thought only, I thought DeMar Rosen should only be worth like 13 million a year, according to one expert. 
like yeah, you know less yeah. than less than Doug McDermott. Exactly. I mean, in what world is Demand DeRozan? I, you know, only worth three years, forty million dollars. I mean, what in what world? You know, and I, I get there. There's people that are concerned at the fact that you know you have a guy at, at his age, and I I don't think he's like ancient, but at his age, not the most dominant defender. That's putting it kindly, and he's not the greatest three-point shooter. But the truth is that he's averaging 22 points a game and almost, what, six, seven assists a game? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, and just had one of his most efficient seasons um, of his career, mm-hmm. despite not being a, a great three-point shooter. And, and the reason he's so efficient is because he gets to the line so much. And we know one of the biggest problems the Bulls had last season because they had so few perimeter threats was their inability to get to the free-throw line. So, uh, yeah, again... They don't consider that for whatever reason. The fact that despite his limitations, DeRozan has, has found a way to still make himself a valuable player. It's not like he's an inefficient chucker out there. It was it was above league average in true shooting percentage. So he, he what he does, he does extremely well and he does it efficiently. So what more can you ask for? 100%. And, you know, I, I would just to wrap up this conversation about national media. And I, I mentioned briefly the, the Nick Friedel thing. You know, I got to actually know Nick Friedel when I, when I was interning at ESPN 1000 years ago this was in the the Derrick Rose era um I got to know Nick and Nick's a really good guy and actually I think was a really good reporter when he was covering the team I pressed that regime a lot called into question some of the decisions that were being made but I think he's turned into what we like to call out of town stupid where you're looking at things like you mentioned this you look at things more from a bird's eye view and so I think he's operating under the guise of of how things used to be run when he was here so, you know, he remembered teams that were getting to the second round and getting bounced, but that's when the Bulls were downtrending. You know, the whole organization was toxic. They were tapped out within that range of getting to the second round, and that was as, as good as they could do. This is coming from ground zero, like you said. It's been unwatchable. It's been a bad product. They've nowhere sniffed the playoffs in recent years. And if you can build to a team that, gets to the second round next year, you're building something. It's it's a, a totally different scenario than I think what Nick was used to when he was here. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I guess, you know, thinking about those teams, you know, particularly that 2014-15 team, which was a second round out team, like if the Bulls can do something similar where they put themselves in a position where they can get to a second round and have a legitimate shot to getting to the Eastern Conference Finals like that team did. They obviously lost to LeBron, as we know, but... You know, that, that's a great season. Um, I, I know it doesn't end in a championship, but that team had a great season. Now, the issue with that team wasn't how they played on the court. The issue with that team and that era, let's say, was the fact that there was so much happening off the court, whether it was the Jimmy and Powell dynamic versus Rose and Noah, whether it was Tibbs versus Gar and Pax. Like, that's why people were annoyed and anxious and wanting things to change because there was so much drama happening off the court that was bleeding into the narrative on the court. But if you take that nonsense out of it and you just have a team that's out there winning 50 games as a third, a three or four seed, taking LeBron to, you know, five, six games or whatever it may have been, like, I think everyone thinks about that team or that era a little bit differently. And maybe that era goes on a little bit longer if those off-court dynamics aren't necessarily happening. So I guess you can take that as a facsimile now. Like if for whatever reason, it's a more harmonious situation in the upcoming season, but you're sort of getting the similar results as that 2014-15 team this season, 
I think we would all be extremely happy. And, you know, if, if there is no nonsense between AK and, uh, and Mark Eversley and Billy Donovan, as there was with Garpax and Tibbs, and if there's no reporting or issues with amongst players as there was back then then again like I, th- I think most people would be happy with that and you can only look at the Knicks this season like everyone was crowing about how impressive the Knicks were this season like they they got to a point last season where I would be happy if the Bulls had a, had a similar season uh, upcoming season as the Knicks did last season and you know, there, there was no nonsense. It, it all worked seamlessly from the from an off-court perspective. And obviously, the on-court product was, was very good now. They, they obviously lost in the first round in the playoffs. But nonetheless, if you ask a Nick fan how they felt about last season, they they enjoyed it tremendously. I'm, a, I'm assuming us Bulls fans will feel exactly the same after going through uh, years and years of watching terrible basketball. If this team wins 44, 45 games, loses in six or seven games in the first round, as an example, to a Nets or a Bucks, like, Again, that's not a bad outcome. No, not at all. And it again, I think it just it depends where you're at in terms of where you're trending. And and this team is is trending up. I think it's been clear since really this new regime's come on. I want to get into just a couple more questions with you, Mark. And and one of them, kind of spurred by this past summer with summer league and and watching Patrick Williams play. Now sometimes you have to take summer league with a grain of salt, but I think. The development of Patrick Williams is key because he, he could be a key catalyst, I think, really in determining this team's ceiling going forward. So, I mean, what are you expecting from him in year two? Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with that statement. Um, I know there's some fans out there that uh, maybe believe wholeheartedly in Patrick Williams. That is the, uh, the second coming, let's say. But, um, you know, if, if Patrick Williams can come into, the, into his second season and give his team 11 to 13 points, uh, you know, six rebounds and some really solid defense, then then we should be happy with about that. And I think there's an opportunity for him to do that now that he's in his preferred position of power forward. Like that's where he should be playing. Uh, I'm assuming him and DeRozan will sort of swing through that within the starting unit. But um, I'm not expecting the world of Pat uh, just due to the fact that, you know, the second half of his rookie season, I was expecting some growth and we didn't necessarily get it. So um, I've sort of lim- lowered my expectations and, you know, maybe this is a better situation for him now where he doesn't have to go out there and be the second or third guy like Stacey King was hammering on about on the broadcast every every odd game. Like now he can sort of be brought along more slowly, find his find his own rhythm, find his place within the rotation and, you know, develop in that way and uh, do the things that he does well, which a lot of those things he does well are off-ball. Like he, he can be a good off-ball mover on offense defensively, like – if he locks in on that end and finds value on that end, then he doesn't really need to focus about you know where do I fit in the offensive hierarchy. And I think he has the the uh, the right temperament to think like that. So I don't I don't have any concerns in that sense. But um, yeah, I, I definitely do agree in the sense that for whatever reason, if he just takes off, you know, this is the first time he's had an opportunity to have a real off season. If if he does take off, if he exceeds my expectations, and he is a you know, 14, 15, 16 point per game guy. And, you know, we see some more playmaking chops. He's, he's shooting off the bounce, continues to improve from distance. Then then that does change the scope of this team even more. So, yeah, that, that would be beautiful. And maybe that second round, uh, second round team uh, limitations that we have or, you know, uh, ceilings, whatever you want to call it, like maybe those things start to be revised if Patrick Williams becomes a completely different player. But um, nonetheless, uh, it's going to be an interesting season for him. And he does have an opportunity now to be 
well, there's not as much pressure, let's say. I mean, he still has pressure in the sense that he's the ultimate piece that will swing what this team can do from a ceiling perspective, but there's less pressure on him to go out there and create. He can just focus in on defense, focus in on finding his place in offense, and uh, he can still be a a valuable player from that sense. You know, I'm one of those people with Patrick Williams. I don't know if I'm like some Bulls fans where I think he's going to be the second coming of Kawhi Leonard. I'm probably more in the camp that I'd be happy if he's the second coming of Luol Deng. Maybe I should be somewhere in between that, but you know, I, I might have a little bit of a lower expectation level for Patrick Williams, but to me, if, if that's who he is, um, sign me up. I, I would take that in a heartbeat because I think you could do a lot worse at the number four pick in the draft with, with somebody like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, maybe maybe Luol Deng's uh, somewhat underrated by fans because he was sort of putting us into a situation where he had to be the second option on the team when he was probably better suited as being a third or fourth guy. But, you know, Patrick now has the opportunity where he's not forced into being that second guy like Deng was. He, he and, and maybe this started even earlier in, in, in Deng's career where, you know, he, Ben Gordon, like that were the, the equal number one guys, let's say, over that initial rebuild that Paxton took, took over. So and and Deng in his third season was amazing, and we and we thought at that time as a twenty one year old averaging twenty odd points, you know, seven eight rebounds, whatever, that the sky was the limit type thing. But you know, he plateaued from there, and and that's mm-hmm. fine. You know, the, the development isn't always linear, but you know, had he been in the situation where he could have been the third guy, then I, I wonder if he's thought of a little bit more fondly than than what he's thought of now. Not not to say people don't think of Deng fondly because he he certainly does have his uh his fans in Chicago, but. You know, if, if Patrick Williams can be a Deng-like player, which is ultimately like a guy that can give you 17, 18 points, seven rebounds, something like that, and, you know, he's giving you two-way play, terrific defense, uh, I would be ecstatic with that, to be fair. Like, I, 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 and I know people expect, you know, stars at the top of the draft, but from a number four position to get a player like that, that who's makes two all-star teams consistently is a, you know, a two-way player, one of the better two-way players in the NBA. You should be ecstatic with that, with the number four pick. So uh, I'm with you on that. Like if Patrick Williams can have a Denmark career and do that maybe sooner than what we expect, then uh, I would be very happy about that. All right. I'm going to do the, the usual question that a lot of people like to ask before the regular season starts. And we're roughly a month out, maybe a little bit more than that. What, what's your prediction for this team? I mean, record-wise and, and where you think they're going to end up maybe in terms of playoff positioning? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, uh, to me, I think the East, say, positions three through nine are so wide open. Uh, to me, like, the Nets are clearly the best team in the yeah. East. So there's, there's no there's no debating that, in my opinion. And then I've got, obviously, the Bucks. Thereafter, though, I think it is fairly open. And I think it's going to come down to injuries, as it always does. It's going to come down to health with COVID. COVID's still a thing, but that's looming in the background. Um, that that could impact teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also cohesion uh, of, of rosters. I think that's that's another element that's going to to impact the uh, going to impact the standing. So you can never predict injuries. You can never predict COVID or health, other health sort of issues. But um, you know, cohesion and fit of the roster, like that's that's what I'm currently thinking about with this team and. The Bulls roster, sorry, yeah, the Bulls schedule and its roster sort of coming together at a time when the when the schedule is quite tough initially, that that's going to be interesting. And and the first 10, 15, 20 games may determine how they ultimately fall in the standings. I'm expecting that, you know, the first five to 10 games, there will be some sort of teething issues. 
that there naturally is when, the, when an, an entire team is sort of flipped and you've got a, a completely new squad. Um, so I would expect against the tougher schedule whilst these guys are trying to figure themselves out that maybe the first 10, 15 games don't look as great as what we hoped they would, but thereafter maybe they get it together and start you know finding their pace. Whereas you know teams like Boston, teams like the Knicks, the Hornets, uh, I mean, the Pacers have got a couple injuries, which may put them out of their running. But um, there's a few other teams. Obviously, the Heats, they've added Kyle Lowry. Um, you know, they're better placed to, I guess, continue where they were last season to transfer that over to this season. Whereas the Bulls, completely new team. We, we don't really know how it's going to come together initially, at least. So um, I would expect the Bulls to have a chance to be anywhere from the third seed to probably like the eight or nine seed, to be honest with you. Where that lands is partly in their control, but some of it is not necessarily in their control. But uh, the East as well, like, I mean, I, I mentioned the Heat there, but the Heat are kind of old. Like, there's a chance that for whatever reason, if you know, if, if Kyle Lowry gets hurt or if mm-hmm. PJ Tucker gets hurt, like, they're, they're both like 35, 36-year-old guys. They're both starting for the Heat. That The Heat don't have a lot of depth. And then, like, similarly for the Sixers, like, I'm not sold on the Sixers right now, given that they've got this Ben Simmons thing looming in the background. Like, if Ben Simmons starts the season as a Sixer, like, how, oh, yeah. how does that happen? Like, is that going to be a harmonious situation or not? Or is that going to impact their win-loss record? Or if you have to trade Ben Simmons and you don't necessarily get a start back and you just get a bunch of role guys, like, does that limit the Sixers as well? So I really do think it's, uh, you know, three through eight, three through nine in the East is completely up in the air, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, you know, another team you can throw in there, you, you mentioned the Sixers kind of having uncertainty. A team like Boston, like you have that that core of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, you bring back Marcus Smart, but, I mean, they've tried this for, the what, the last five years where they've tried to build around that core. I mean, is it really going to get that much better with, some of these other pieces they've brought in, like Dennis Schroeder, I I don't know. So it is it is really intriguing that whole mix of teams there. You throw in Atlanta too, who made the Eastern Conference Finals, and you have the Pacers, the Knicks. Yeah, like uh, the, the Hawks, they may be better placed oh, to start the season than the Bulls, and they may run off on the Bulls initially. You know, maybe the Bulls are you know eight and eight in, over their first sixteen games, or maybe the Hawks are you know, 12 and 12 and four or something like that. And we're looking at the Hawks and thinking, oh, they're, they're, they're better than the Bulls. But their, their team, I mean, they've got a really nice team. Their, their team's quite, there's a lot of depth on that team. Obviously, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, but it's largely untouched, that team. So the minute they step on the court, they should be good. We know what they can do. Whereas the Bulls, we're assuming they can be good. And at their peak, I think they will be good. But will it take them time to get there? So I guess what I'm saying is, well, let's see how it all plays out. Um I think the opening month or so may not necessarily be too kind for the Bulls, and I'm assuming the takes will be flying at that point. But, um, you know, obviously this team is new. The pieces are new. The guys are coming together. Like even Zach and Vooch haven't had much time together. So, I mean, that thing needs to be worked out, not to mention the the, the DeRozan and, and uh, Lonzo sort of fits. So, um, yeah, I, I, I honestly think uh, teams three through nine in the East may be separated by like a, a collective of five games, something like that you just brought up like how how it might take some time to get this going and i mean look at atlanta last year and the knicks last year it took a while for that thing to gel if you remember early in the season both those teams were kind of hovering around 500 or below 500 at certain points and then rallied off a lot of wins in the second half of the season mark uh appreciate you coming on and and talking with us today for the listeners if you can give them details of where they can find you on twitter and about bulls hq yeah, for sure. Look, um, 
yeah, if you if you want to tune into Bulls HQ, you're more, obviously more than welcome to. Um, you know, you can find that wherever you find podcasts. I'm sure where they can find uh, your show, Matt. They can they can tune into mine as well. And after they're done listening to, to your show, uh, if you are still got to your um, you need a fix for for some more Bulls podcasts, then head over to Bulls HQ. We uh, we typically record every one or two weeks. Uh, but on Twitter as well, you can find me at MK Hoops. That's where I'm more active, I suppose. It's it's, it's a lot easier to tweet than to podcast. So, uh, yeah, constantly hammering out tweets about this team because uh, I can't escape the Bulls. They're always on my mind. And, uh, yeah, I'm always tweeting about the team there. And hopefully uh, I'm probably more volume than quality or quantity than quality, Matt, but um, maybe every now and then I, I put out a decent tweet. <laughs> No, no, give yourself more credit. You, you put out a lot of good tweets and a lot of good content there. And I personally love it for the interactions with C-Red Fred. I love that you are engaging with that guy more on Twitter and, you know, doing more podcasts with him. It, it's like, it's freaking gold. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, look, it's, um, it's always fun for me. I always like poking fun of Frederick, but um, it can be painful recording with him. He's, uh, He's an older man. He's not really uh, across technology, and just getting him on to uh, getting getting him online, or even getting him to access a computer, is, a, is an achievement in itself. But um, yeah, it can be difficult to record with him um, just due to logistics and uh, technical technological constraints on his behalf. Let's say, but um, yeah, I do enjoy my time with Fred. It, it is always fun. Well, keep up the great work, Mark. You're one of the better follows and better podcasts in in the Bulls podcasting sphere. So. Again, thanks for coming on, and and we'll probably have you on again soon. Yeah, no problem, man. Happy to come on anytime. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.